What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. My guest today is Fire Chief Dennis Compton. This gentleman has had a career that has spanned over 50 years in the American Fire Service. Uh, today, we talked about leadership, we talked about expectations, we talked about some of the changes that we've seen in the fire service and some of the things that we shall see change uh, in the future. It's a wonderful conversation. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Check it out. So, Chief Compton, thank you so much for taking a few minutes uh, out of your time to come and sit with me. Looking at your, the body of work that you've done, it's incredibly impressive to me, and um, it has spanned more than my lifetime, which I find quite <laughs> remarkable. So more than 50 years in the fire service. So um, as I thought about you know, sitting down and talking to you, there's so many things that I wanted to touch on, um, and we don't have time for all of them. So I, I want to focus on a couple of areas that have to do with leadership, that have to do with you know, expectations uh, of, uh, you know, of the fire service at large and, and, and you as an uh, organizational leader and, and what we should expect from our organizational leaders, et cetera. Uh, so before we dive into that too deep, tell me a little bit about how you ended up in the fire service and you know how you got here. Well, Rain, first of all, thank you for having me here. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. I, I, uh, I always like to do these kinds of things. That, uh, well, I, I was in the Army in 1968, 1969, and uh, when I got back, uh, I was, of course, looking for a job. And What'd you do in the Army? I was, uh, I, I was a light vehicle operator up to a deuce and a half okay yeah and so i uh i was looking for a job my wife and i went to a party on a saturday night and a friend of mine from high school was there named carl combs and carl had been on the phoenix fire department for about six months and he told me at that party because i told him i was looking for a job and he said you know fire department's testing here and uh you ought to go down there and take that test. You'd love it. He said, I know you, you'd love it. So I, uh, I, I went down and took the test. It was much different back then. Yeah, in fact, I, I, uh, I went in and took the test, the written test. They graded it with me standing right in front of them. Uh, there were about 350 people there. I passed the written. They handed me a ticket to go take the agility right then down here at the old training academy and uh so i went and took that and passed it a few weeks later i get a call for an interview i go down and take the interview a couple of months later i'm on the job wow and that was all there was to it i had never considered being a firefighter before never entered my mind how long was the training pipeline the training pipeline was all of uh, three weeks oh goodness gracious uh, we saw no structural firefighting we saw no anything that was burning uh, because they didn't want to dirty the buildings. They were they liked those buildings clean. <laughs> and I'm, I'm dead serious about this. I'm not kidding at all. So everything we did was dry, and uh, I mean, what, I mean, it was it was not dry. We we squirted water, but we did not have any burns or anything like that. We went through three weeks. We had uh, eight hours of first aid training with the Red Cross book, that red Red Cross book from back then. We had uh, we learned how to use Geiger counters, and uh, <laughs> and we learned hose lays and ladder raises. Oh, amazing! It's it, well, the pathway for for 
young folks now is so different than it was I mean, on so many levels, right? The, there's this huge pipeline. It's incredibly competitive. The numbers of folks that show up in the thousands that show up to take these processes, it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. So what what are some of the, you know, you've, you've been doing this for a long time and you came in at a time when, uh, <laughs> this is gonna sound funny, I guess, but it was innocent, <laughs> right? And it's come a long way. And now you, you know, you've been at the highest level of the American Fire Service and you've served in international capacities as well. So I'm going to take a big step here. What are some of the challenges you see in the American Fire Service? Well, that's an interesting question because the challenges that the fire service has today, I think, are somewhat multifaceted. Uh, we were innocent, more innocent times because society was different. Mm. Okay, uh, there was no internet. There was no social media. Uh, people, for the most part, followed orders. And if you didn't, you were gone. <laughs> so people basically were different. Yeah. And things were different. And, uh, and, 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 and life was a little simpler uh, all the way around. But, but if you think about it, uh, the, the, that didn't last all that long. Because by the time I had 10 years on the job... Uh, we had gone into EMS. We had paramedics. Uh, we uh, we had began, not totally implemented, but began looking at hazardous materials in a much different way. And uh, and and in the next ten years, we became incredible Hasmanians as far as our ability to handle those kinds of calls. We did all kinds of uh, medical emergencies, as you know. We did, special duty calls took on a whole new uh, meaning because we went to so many different things. Uh, most of our calls when I came on the job were fire calls. Uh, a, a small percentage were what they call first aid calls. Uh, and But that changed. That started changing. Uh, so a lot of what I saw in the next 20 years of my job uh, after 19, let's say 1980, was uh, refining and improving and enhancing the things that were began in the earlier stages of that, okay? And we're still doing that. The fire service is still doing that, okay? Now, as far as the the challenges for the future, uh, I think one challenge is to stay relevant. Uh, relevant in society, <laughs> relevant in, in what we profess to be able to do for people. Um, and what I mean by that is this. If you look at the things that are tr- so troubling in society, uh, the environment is a significant issue. We insult the environment a lot in our job, uh, not because we caused it, but because we're dealing with it. And I think that the expectations of us over the next several years regarding that issue are going to increase significantly. Okay, I believe. Okay, what what are some specific components that you're speaking to? Contamination is what I'm mostly talking about. Yeah, right. In in it's, terms of like using certain foams and fire suppressants and not stuff so like much that. foams, but mean? contamination meaning the 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 effect of the smoke on the community. The effect of the water on the drainage systems. Uh, we have some concern for that now, but not 
what needs to happen in the future. I mean, we if, if we truly get into a, a time, and we're going to, where the people in this society care more about the environment and are willing to sacrifice more for the environment, a stable living environment, then we're going to be expected to not contaminate that in our work. And, and I don't mean, again, by our fault. I mean by our work. Yeah. In other words, what we call law stopped, the definition of that might change. Yeah, that makes, that makes good sense to me because as we talk about the, the operational context, right, the, the fire ground has changed dramatically. The amount, the amount of carcinogens oh. and toxins that are in the product because of the materials they use to, to furnish houses and construct, right, it's all spun hydrocarbons. So when they burn them, they're very toxic. And so it does make sense that that, you know, well, obviously the runoff is toxic as well. And we haven't done a lot to ameliorate that or, or mitigate it at all. Just some and very little. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think another significant challenge for us is this issue of, of dealing with carcinogens mm-hmm. uh, from the standpoint of our own health. Uh, we, uh, we are all aware now that cancer is a significant issue. It was a significant issue when I was a firefighter almost well, oh, 52 years ago. It was a significant issue. We didn't know it. Yeah. It never dawned on me. Okay, uh, that it that that was doing something to us. You know, uh, we had we were protected. We had these things on, and uh, and and once we started wearing masks, about twelve or fifteen years into my time on the job, <laughs> uh, you know, we thought those were protecting us. But the reality of it today is that the protective clothing we use for the cause we go on was not designed to protect us from carcinogens. Right. It was designed to protect us from heat, steam, and burns. And, uh, and, and that is an issue. I mean, when you figure that everything we wear that is intended to protect us contaminates us at some point or another in that process, because from the time someone calls the fire department until the time that incident is over, there are many phases. And it's not just the time on the scene. It's what happens after that as well, before that call is truly put to bed. And what we do with that contamination in that period of time, and what we do with us in that period of time, has got to change. And the manufacturers has got to, and they are, let me be fair, they are doing their best to figure out what to do with that protective clothing. But it is not easy. I, re- I remember, because remember, they're in business, you know? And uh, I, can, I can remember uh, when we wanted better heat protection and all that went into that and the years it took, uh, better thermal burn protection, uh, turnouts that fit women. I can remember how difficult it was to deal with the manufacturers to get that stuff done. And uh, so it's not as if they just flip a switch. And so there's, I, as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the layers of resistance that take oh. place to these changes, right? So not only do you have manufacturers who have to have a, a fiscal imperative, right, to drive change for them, because if you're not going to buy their special fancy-pantsy turnouts, they're not going to make them. Um, but then the, the other part of that is, and I think this is probably the more daunting of this, is the 
the human behavior component, right? Firefighters are not interested in change very often. And getting people to behave differently is really challenging. You know, firefighters are resistant to change. I've seen that through my entire career, okay? But so are chief officers. Uh, If you don't believe me, become a fire chief and reorganize your command staff someday. And you'll see how resistant command officers are to change. Yeah. Okay? They don't like it. Uh, so, re- so resistance to change is not new. But it's not just not new in the fire service. It's, not, it's, not, it, it's, it's tough to do it anywhere. I think it's a human condition. It is. Right. You're in your comfort zone. You like, you, it, especially in the fire service. So we identify so much with being a firefighter. And we have these traditions that... that that such 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 and such equals good firefighter, and when you start messing with these over here that equal that, then you get a considerable resistance. But think about something for a second. Yeah, you talk about change. I came in at a time, and so did a lot of other people, where where we implemented a complete pre-hospital emergency medical care system with our existing resources, okay? We implemented a complete hazardous materials response system with our existing resources. We required the wearing of protective clothing and SCBAs where they were not required previously with our existing resources. We became experts in rescuing people in all kinds of situations. And we did that with existing people. So I don't buy that, that firefighters resist change. I think firefighters, like everybody else, need to be brought along with change. And once you get people who are influential in the system supporting that change, and you're willing to contribute what it takes to cause that to be successful, because just because you write something down on a piece of paper and send it out doesn't mean that changed. You know, it's, it's like changing a standard operating procedure and sending it out in the, uh, to the workforce and thinking that that got implemented. Right. That, well, there's there's layers of resistance in change and, and, and getting people's behavior to modify. You have to co- give them a compelling reason to do something differently. And I'm so right. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, so when we talk about these different, elements right getting organizations to shift what are you know and you've been doing this for a long time and you, you know you're an assistant chief in phoenix you're the chief of mesa you've worked for the uh, national fire administration and so you're seeing change it and and impact in different levels in the fire service so what are some of the tools that you leverage leadership tools and to affect change you know there's a model for change right there really is there's a management model for change and way too often you can actually study those things if you want to way too often we don't follow them okay uh, way too often and I said this when I was the chief of training in the late 1970s and early 80s way too often we get angry at firefighters for not going along with changes that we have made in other words we find them out in the field doing something differently mm. But the fact of the matter is, is that, is that we didn't do our job to cause that change to come to life. We were lazy. 
that was lazy management that was not resistant to change is it we did it often often i think that that we say that it's just impossible to change people when the fact of the matter is is we can't get the people on board sometimes that we need to make those changes if you get the, if you get the supervisors on board on a change you're in you're in hog heaven that change is going to happen okay it's going to happen so so how do we get them on board you keep doing what's, the things you're the, doing you you first of all you identify you get you you deal with the people you don't just do this on your own is yeah. it and you guys that i think one of the best examples i can use is the phoenix fire department and there are others nowadays but there didn't used to be phoenix fire department if, if someone asked me what is the reason what is the reason that the phoenix fire department was able to do so many things back in the day when no one else could the rest of the fire service couldn't get it done okay and i'll tell you what i think it is and i've said this many times is we had a group of people come together and we had incredibly visionary leaders but we had a group of people come together as leaders as a leadership team and we had an incredibly sophisticated union leadership that I, I didn't see other places and we realized that we all of us we were friends we'd worked in fire stations together all of us had is we realized that that unless we can deal with the internal aspects of, of this organization, unless we can work together on things that we can agree upon, that, that we're just sitting ducks for outside influences. Because if I wanted to screw with a fire department, I don't, but if I wanted to, the first thing I would do is get them fighting with each other. Hmm. And, one, and then I'd leave for about six months. Let them go at it. And then when they flat weren't even talking to each other anymore about things and everything was a battle and everyone was stupid and any decision I didn't make was dumb. Once I got them doing that, I'd come in and do whatever it is I wanted. <laughs> they can't defend themselves. <laughs> well, they can't agree on what day it is. <laughs> so that's how you do it, is you work on the internal aspects of that organization. You do it with leadership. But you identify what it is you, you, you want to get done. You get the people together who have the knowledge, the capability, and the influence, leadership, the influence to get that done. You identify in specific terms how you're going to go about accomplishing this. In other words, what are we going to do? In measurable terms, you train the people about what it is you're trying to accomplish and how you're planning on doing it. And you ask for input along the way. And if people have good ideas, you use them. Because the more the workforce can see themselves in that change, the more they will accept it. Okay? And only after the training and the resources are provided do you implement that change. And when you implement that change, you monitor it regularly to determine whether or not the goals you set are being met. And if they're not being met, you make some changes. You constantly evaluate that change. And it's a loop 
A change isn't a straight line and implementation's over here at the end of that line. Change is a constant loop for a significant change that is successful. It's a constant loop. You look at EMS today. We've been doing EMS uh, for almost 50 years. Okay, There are places in the fire service who've been doing it for more than 50 years. I'm not talking about first aid. I'm talking about EMS. Okay, And if you look at that, we used it used to take our standing orders basically used to be that you can get on the truck and go to the call. <laughs> that was the standing orders from the medical community. <laughs> and you can do a quick evaluation of the patient. If you wanted to start an IV, it took approval. If you wanted to fibrillate somebody, it took approval. If you wanted to do anything above that basic standard of care, it had to be approved. Okay? And if you look at the delivery of EMS today, the way that cycle has evolved, held, they're hanging defibrillators in shopping centers and airports. My wife and I bought one for our house. <laughs> we have a defibrillator in our house, and our neighbors know it. You know? You, you, we have a fire extinguisher, too, but our <laughs> house is sprinklered. <laughs> so... So we have, we have what is most likely to cause us harm, which is a heart emergency. We have that in our house. Yeah. You think of what has happened, you know? The, the paramedics today do things that our initial paramedics never dreamed of doing. They did the best they could with what they had, but they didn't have the equipment or the training in some cases. That's change. And it doesn't change in two months or six months or two years. It starts, but you look at the generations of you all that have caused that change to come to fruition, and it's not done. It's not over. No, we're seeing a lot of things that are sitting out in front of us right now that are, are going to cause significant changes in the fire service. The telemedicine, community paramedicine, you know, all kinds of different things like that. You know, fire code is evolving and changing all the time, too, in a fire prevention type of way so we're going to definitely see some more changes as we move along if, if you have good leadership you're going to always see changes change is going to become a part of what you do because and the reason i know that is because you do have good leadership and it is now change is a part of what you do you know so you brought up a really interesting point which i think is very simple but is completely relevant here. You talked about the kind of the labor management collaborative, that process, and the, the word used, or I think you said this word, the word relationship, right? Or that's what stands out to me is the, the imperative of the relationship between the players and the ability to sustain healthy relationships. And I feel like sometimes that can be a challenge. Um, have you found that to be the case, that, the, that those relationships, keeping them healthy is challenging? You know, healthy relationships, to answer, to answer your question, maintaining healthy relationships is difficult far beyond the fire department. Okay? A lot happens. <laughs> and, there's a, and, and there's a lot of history with people's relationships. And, uh, and so, so maintaining a relationship isn't simple. Uh, it depends on how bad you want it, I think. Uh, 
In other, in other words, if you look again, let's just, we're here to talk about the fire department. Let's talk about it. Uh, if you look at the Phoenix Fire Department, I was a union officer in the 1970s. Okay. We were at war with the city, and there's no other term to use. We were at war with the city. City hated us. We hated them. Fire administration didn't like us. We didn't like them either. Okay. Uh, the process that I remember the process that, 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 that a guy named Paul Saunders that was a union president when I came on the job he used to describe us going before the council as meet and beg <laughs> <Goodness gracious. laughs> and and there were no meetings there was no nothing you know so so if you if you look at uh, at, at uh, the lack of relationships inside with the rest, with all of us, was at the root of our inability to move beyond that. The desire to move beyond it was simply not there. Okay? And then Alan Brunacini became the fire chief. Uh, I remember Gary Picari, myself, Pat can tell me, Mike Vilecki, we all worked at Station One together. And Pat was uh, captain on ladder one on A shift. Uh, I was on en- I was a captain on engine two on A shift. Uh, Picari was on ladder one on C shift. We went. We were all together. And uh, and, it, and and I can remember discussions that we all had. Uh, that things don't have to be this way. You know, if we if we're so damn brilliant, let's fix it. So, so fortunately, you had uh, Chief Bernasini, who was driven by the same types of beliefs. Uh, he was trying to develop a staff. Uh, you had, I can remember Pat and Gary and myself talking at Station One that we were going to go different paths. There was a battalion chief's test coming up. I was going to take it. They were going to continue through the union process. Pat became the union president. Gary became the business manager. Mike became the legislative affairs guy. If you look at all of that, all of that, uh, that was when the importance of relationships, I think, hit me more than anything else, is to is to is to serve on this on the union's negotiating team for the first two contracts we ever negotiated, and then on the third contract, I was on the city's negotiating team. And the difference was night and day. Hmm. Night and day. Partially because Chief Brunacini and Chief Claw West wanted it to be night and day. They were my bosses. And they allowed that to occur. Because they shared the same beliefs. Pat, we didn't know how to go about all this, but we knew what we wanted to, to be. You know, And, and remember, too, and, I'll, I'll, and this probably applies to a lot of things you could ask me. Unions and management only have X benthams of time. You can't get more time. More time is not available to you. Okay? You have X benthams of time. You get to use that time however you would like. So you can use that time fighting with each other. You can use that time in grievances. You can use that time taking each other down in the media. Or... You can use that time creating a fire department that is the envy 
of the nation's fire service by many and hated by others. You can, you can use that time however you wish. And the more you decide to be at each other's throats, the less time you get to plan, the less time you get to budget, the less time you get to, get to uh, obtain support politically, the less time for all that. And you don't get any more time. So you get to decide what you want to do with your time. That's a, that's a fantastic point, right? You have the ability to make some choices in this. It's not just that you're not just a victim of circumstance here. You <laughs> actually have an opportunity to engage and drive the direction in which you're going to go. You can choose to have a healthy relationship if you're willing to invest in it. And I think um, the point that you brought up that I think is really important to me is the fact that you're aligning your values. You know, what is the organizational value and are we on the same page? And if not, let's get on the same page before we can move forward. Because if we're all striving toward the same end, um, then we can work through some stuff. And I've heard a quote that's been used a lot, which is never sacrifice an or never sacrifice a relationship for an outcome. I remember the quote. In yeah. fact, I wrote it. Uh, that's, that's, that is in those, that's in the standard operating procedures for, uh, let me tell you where that quote came from, because it's, it's, it's almost the cornerstone of, of, of that labor management process is that uh, we were struggling when we first began this. In the early 1983-84, when we first started going together, we implemented this RBO process. You wouldn't even recognize it back then. If you saw it back then, you wouldn't even recognize it. But, but we could not get past the issues with one another. I remember one meeting we had in Flagstaff and, and we were having some difficult issues uh, over EMS. And one of the union guys, I'm not going to mention his name, but he came to the meeting the next morning. In other words, we were debating these issues, and it got hot. But the next day, he came to the meeting, and he had gone out to a store, and he had bought a bunch of garlic. And he was wearing <laughs> a necklace with, some, with string with garlic all over it to fend off the lies that were coming from a certain chief, okay? That is not gonna get you past your differences. Right. Okay, that killed that discussion. At that same meeting, later that evening, uh, Pat and I sat down and we created those that guidance for RBO, for, for labor management relations. It's uh, uh, it's a preamble for labor management relations. You've read it. Yep. We created that that night. Okay. And one of those is don't sacrifice your relationship for any single issue. Uh, it's not worth it. Put it aside. Come back later and try again. And the other thing is, is that, is that you don't have to always get your way. You know. If you can get 70 or 80% of what you want on any given issue, and a lot of times you want the same things, you just can't get past certain things. If you can get 70 or 80% of what you want on any given issue, take yes for an answer and go home. There are lots more days that you can come back and get exactly what you want maybe. Right. But if it's my way or the highway, you better be willing to accept the highway because you might not get anything else. And I'm never willing to accept the highway and the reason is this everybody's coming back the same people are coming back 
and the next day we're going to divide all the toys up again among the same people and we're going to do this over so the more damage you do in that process the least less chance you've got of being successful with each other and with your organization with the safety of the firefighters with the safety of the public you're jacking with each other yeah i think it's so important that we we set aside our ego and allow uh, to be to be able to sit in these difficult conversations sometimes and and allow the the hard conversation to happen and work through the the difficulties um if we're not willing to do that we're going to disrupt our forward progress and it's on so many levels and you know the same like you said the same players are coming back and that those relationships are critical not necessarily for this one issue, but for all issues as you move forward, because hard days are coming, and um, there always are. You know, and we talk about, oh, it's so much. It was so much easier in the past, was it? No, yeah. it's always been hard. There's always difficult topics and always challenges that we face as an organization. The challenges just evolve and change and 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 shift a little bit, and the players involved change. And uh, I think the what I'm hearing and what you say, which is so valuable to me, is that the uh, we have to be willing to have hard conversations and we have to be willing to work through them. And the fact that you don't get a hundred percent of what you're looking for, um, that being conciliatory is so important in that relationship and getting the best situation you can for the time. Yeah, that's all the best decision you can make for the organization. The management's not trying to burn down the fire department. Neither is the union. Just because you don't agree, on how to get somewhere, or even whether or not you ought to go there. Uh, so what? Uh, it doesn't mean you can't figure it out. It doesn't mean it won't be more clear six months from now. After we wrote that preamble, we took it back the next morning, we presented it to the group. A lot of eyes were rolling in there, in that room, chiefs and union people. And I can tell you that five years later, six years later, we still had people that wouldn't follow that dang thing hmm. that still caused problems for us and that still caused problems for the union. That's tough stuff. When you read that preamble, that is difficult. When you see yourself as a warrior on either side, and I'm not going to let the union run this fire department, and management's not going to run over the top of me. When that's the, the approach, you I'll see your idiot and raise you an imbecile. <laughs> and I'm telling you, you're going to have some problems in there. Yeah. And and getting past that, you talk, you asked about relationships. That's getting past that is is how you get difficult things done. I hope people understand, and this is. Just my opinion from a lot of experience at the national level and at the and other levels. You solve day-to-day -day issues that come up in a fire department or any other organization for that matter with procedures and policies. Most of the things that come up are solved with procedures and policies. The really tough stuff is solved with relationships. And if you don't have them, and there aren't policies that relate to them, and there aren't standard operating procedures that tell you how to solve them, you're in a world of hell on that deal. In other words, you don't have the capacity to deal with that problem because you won't even talk to each other. All you do is scream at each other. 
Yeah, and you're not hearing what either person has to say because you're not willing and to. And there's so many challenges for the fire service, you know. I mean, this, uh, you know, it, 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 I didn't know I had so many friends who were epidemiologists until the last couple of years. <laughs> Honestly, I had no idea that, that I had so many incredibly brilliant people in epidemiology that were, that were in my circle of friends. That's a problem we're going to have to deal with. Is, is how in the world do we bring a group of people together to deal with a common issue that is in the best interest of their safety? And I don't know what the answer is, but I know what the problem is. And then top that off, and I, and I get this from firefighters. I don't dream this up. I still got relatives on this job. Is the fact that we've allowed society's political issues to find their way into our fire stations and to create situations where people in the fire station aren't hardly speaking to each other, yet they have to go out in the field and do the very difficult jobs yeah. that, that require communications, that require trust, that require you to be able to talk <laughs> and listen. Those are big problems. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, they'll break down the system. You know, you know, you, you bring up the word trust, which I think is such an critical piece of fire operations capacity, right? We do very high risk work and the unit that goes out in the field, the engine company, the, the ladder company, et cetera, ha the crew that's operating has to trust one another in order to be effective, you know? Uh, and when we erode that trust with issues that are outside of our control, and we allow that to be a, be a cancer in our organization, be a cancer in our firehouse, uh, that's problematic. And it, so it's funny when we talk about these labor management relationships, it's so, it, it goes beyond that, right? Mm -hmm. I know you, you've been married for a long while and I, I'm a 28 year rookie in marriage and yet you know, my wife and I are constantly working on our relationship. And it's the same thing in the firehouse, right? You have to be working on your relationships and working through these difficult conversations, whether they be social issues or, or political issues or whatever. Um, I remember back in the day uh, hearing people say things like, um, you know, there's things you don't talk about in the firehouse is politics and religion. And because those issues are polarizing and yet we, those issues are part of the fabric of our life. And so how do you not talk about them? Well, you do talk about them, but you just have to be mindful. You have to be thinking about your, your peers that they might have a different perspective and you have to give people space for those perspectives so that we can be moved so that we can all be successful. We're not all cut from the exact same cloth. We're similar in a lot of our core values on the fire department, mm -hmm. but we're different and we have to allow for that. And is your desire to talk about them? Is your desire to lecture uh -huh. others about them? Mm -hmm. In other words, what is your goal there? Uh, we talked about things, just about anything. Matter of fact, it not, pretty much everything was fair game when I was in the fire stations and, and even in the administration, you know. That's one thing about the fire service that, that you know, if, you, if you've got a thin skin and, and things happen around you and you end up getting teased about them, you better be able to take them uh, because everybody else is, is a, has the expectation that you will, okay? Unless it's way out of line, it's something that shouldn't even be going on. But, 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 but dealing with one another with humor 
is not exactly new to the fire service. Okay, and a, a good, funny humor. But from what I'm told, some of we have allowed, and I'm not just talking about Phoenix and Mesa and places like that. I get all over this dang country, and I deal with tons of fire people all over the place. Okay, and from what I'm told is that we have allowed uh, what has happened in society with regards to politics, where over the past 10 years or so, everything has become politics. Everything is about politics. In other words, no matter what goes on in society, it wouldn't have happened or it would have been done differently if politically there had been other leaders. Okay? So that's what we're bringing to the firehouse is you're not disagreeing on, uh, on, on the right to life. That, that's been there forever, and you can certainly have a discussion about it. There's lots of ways you can come down on that. But you didn't bring this galvanized view that anybody that doesn't agree with you is wrong and they're horrible and they're baby killers and they're you know you didn't bring that you know or the opposite you didn't bring i'm not talking about politics sticking up for some party or something i'm talking about the politics of dealing with issues is we have trouble as a society dealing with significant issues now because everything is polarized around parties Right, and we are allowing that polarization to enter in to our workplaces, and we are one of the most decentralized employers at the city level around. I mean, there are decentralized corporations that are all over the world, but we're in a city, and we work in you know sixty locations in that city. Even a smaller department works in seven or eight locations in that city. Mesa works in 26 locations in that city. You're all over the place. Okay. So we are very decentralized. And what goes on in those stations, you know, is, is uh, impacts the service delivery out of that facility. Yeah. You know, the way we feel about each other, the way we feel about people who are different than us, uh, you know, when you have a firefighter saying that I shouldn't have to deal with people like that, I shouldn't have to run on people like that, it's time for that person to rethink what they want to do with the rest of their life. Yeah. Well, that, that takes me right to a place, a, a question I wanted to ask you, which was, as a, as a fire chief, when you think about your, you know, your troops, what are your, what's your primary expectation for them? And does it and does it change from you know position and function? Does your does your expectation for a firefighter differ from that of an AC, or is there some core values there? You know, I, I'm kind of known for trying to keep things simple, okay, and pretty straightforward too, without being belligerent. Uh, there are three things I want from people in the fire department. 
I don't give a damn what their rank is. I want them to be positive, productive, and healthy. That's what I want them to do. So that they can deliver the mission of the organization. That's the reason for it. I want you positive, productive, and healthy so that you can deliver the mission of that organization. Okay. And my job is to do whatever I can to make that happen. Sometimes in a very good way, and sometimes maybe in a way that they may not appreciate at the time. But usually they do later. So let me let me flip the question on you then. Because that's really, I like that. I like the simplicity of it because it's clear and I feel like clarity is, um, is super important in leadership. Um, if you, if your expectations aren't clear and people, how do you hold people accountable for what's expected if they don't understand what's expected? So as a, as a line guy, what can I, what should I expect from my fire chief? You know, as a as a firefighter out in the field, um, you know how you remember the old statement is that so and so forgot where they came from. Mm-hmm. You've heard that before, oh, right? For sure, that's half of a sta- of a of a statement. Uh, just don't forget where you came from, but don't pretend to understand where you've never been as if you're an expert on it. Okay? Uh, it, it's as simple as this. I want my fire chief to care about us. I want the fire chief to get us the resources we need to do our jobs. I want the fire chief to train us to do our jobs. I want the equipment that it takes for us to do our jobs. Okay. I want them to represent us as a workforce and the importance of us in the overall mission of the city of Phoenix. I want that fire chief to represent us in that way, in a positive light. What I wish they understood, which they don't always, is that getting that done, the fire chief has to deal with, with forces inside the city that have control over them, control aspects over them. They have to deal with elected officials. They have to deal with other stakeholders in the community. They have to deal with the official representatives of that workforce, <laughs> the union officers. They have to deal with, uh, with individual employees that want to uh, address them, talk with them, whatever. They have to deal with them. They have to deal with their direct subordinates. You know? In other words, how do you, how do you, how do you uh, be an active fire chief? And really get involved in the organization and keep your other chiefs relevant to where it doesn't appear that you're making all the big decisions. Because if you are, 
You're just turning the dial down on your other chiefs. <laughs> if we don't like what they say, oh, we'll just go see Compton. You know? So you got all that going on. Yeah. And you and you and then also I want that fire chief to let my captain run that fire station. And not just let, but expect that captain to run that fire station and hold them accountable for running that fire station in accordance with the rules, policies, regulations, and laws. Because that captain and those battalion chiefs and those other people are called agents of the city. That's what they're called in the legal terms. That means if something goes wrong somewhere, who was the ranking agent of the city mm. who was involved in that? And it's so sad to me, and it really is, when I see someone finally realize how much responsibility they had when something they could have controlled went really wrong. And it comes down like a ton of crap right on their heads. That's sad to me. So that's what I want my chief to make sure that doesn't happen because I like my captain and I certainly don't want them to make decisions that could impact their employment. Yeah, that's a, there's a lot there. The, uh, the thing that I, I, I add that my expectation for my boss is to be present, which is interesting because when I think about the amount of what does that, what does that look like? Right. What does present look like when I think about the volume of work that, and the, then the responsibility that the, the fire chief has. And I'm like, well, I need that person to be present. What does that mean? Lunch at the firehouse, you know, every other week, like that's not possible. Um, but, uh, so I think there's a, that presence, uh, requires some, some real engagement because, because I think that, you know, what you said in the beginning, you said, Hey, you know, we want people to know that you care. Right. So how do you demonstrate that? Um, it's, it's a challenge, right? There's a balance there because everyone has expectations of what that looks like. Everyone's perspective, you know, however many thousands yep. of people are in your organization, they all have a different expectation of you. And, uh, how do you understand what that expectation is, and then how do you operationalize it? Well, I can only share with you the approach that I've taken to that, and I've taken it all my career, still to this day. Okay, uh, I've, I, when I became a chief officer, I tried to start my day three days a week at a fire station at seven o'clock in the morning. That way, I got the oncoming shift and the offgoing shift, and I got to visit with them. And I did not come there with an agenda. It wasn't an officer's meeting, okay? I got to visit with them. I had that goal for three times a week. Seldom did I meet it. But I had it set, and I usually got at least once a week. Okay, And I would hear things, you know, that we want to see more of you and whatnot. But I would just be honest with them. Man, I got a family. I got a wife. And if I'm not having dinner with them at home at night, because I want to have dinner with you at night, I'm concerned that I may not have that family for a long time. <laughs> right. That this is my job. This is not my life. You know, 
I care about you. I'll demonstrate that in every way I possibly can for you. But I'm not going to give up my my personal life to satisfy an unreasonable expectation of somebody. I'm not going to do that. And you know, I, when I went over to Mesa, I I uh, I spent a month literally going out and talking to every all 500 firefighters on that job all of them and and they filled out a little questionnaire for me about about the fire department you know uh that was time well spent but i can't do that very often yeah and i had trouble fitting doing that into my schedule because i had a couple other things i was responsible for too besides that so i think that the, that the clear expectation is that i'll demonstrate how much i care for you i'll demonstrate how much respect i have for you because see that's you asked me what what i expected from everybody on the fire department but let me tell you what i expected the supervisors on the fire department because it's those that i gave you positive productive healthy so we can do the mission mm -hmm. they're responsible for that environment in their work area those same criteria but here's what i hold them absolutely responsible for i want them to lead by example okay i want them to build trust and respect with their people okay and i want them to have an attitude that's in, in that that's that that tends to lend itself towards a positive, productive, and healthy workforce. They said they were going to do that when they took those jobs. Uh, I know because I promoted a ton of them, right. and I listened to their interviews too. <laughs> so they know those jobs. That I, I know they know them. That's all I expect. And that's the same thing I want them to expect from me. You know, that's a good point. As uh, you talked about the the fact that we're decentralized and those company officers are the uh, face of the fire department to the community. They are the representative uh, ambassador for the fire chief because the fire chief can't be on every call, can't be in every location. And most citizens will never meet the fire chief, but they'll meet that fire company and that company officer who's their representative. And uh, it's, so it's really important that they're able to carry that, that mantle of responsibility into the community. And um, so I think that's a great expectation that they, you know, they, they have to take ownership of that environment and of that company, you know, especially when they get called out to be, you know, the, an agent of the city, right? It's a huge responsibility that the yoke of, of authority, I think people seem to uh, dismiss the actual gravity of that, of that. Until something position. goes wrong. Yeah. And there's only one thing that is, supervisor does 100% of the time there's only one thing and that's supervised everything else is little pieces of that you know emergency scenes around the station training da -da 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 -da. they're little pieces of that but there's one thing that they're supposed to do all the time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's supervised mm -hmm. and if they're not doing that they're not doing their job okay and I am nowhere near a hard ass, honestly. But dang, you know, 
Yeah. That's the least she can do. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. All of us, it's the least we can do. You know? Yeah. I love firefighters. I get really pissed when I see someone mistreating them. And I don't care who they are. Hmm. Hey, let me, uh, let me shift gears on you just a little bit. So for, for folks who are in their career and they're developing themselves, what is some of the, the advice you give to a, a would-be uh, battalion chief or you know, somebody who's coming up through the ranks? You know, how, how should they be? What's, what are some of the things they should be doing to develop themselves? Lorraine, I actually do a lot of that. I, to this day, I still have a lot of people call me and want to talk to me when they're going for, for, for promotions. I mean, I just did two of them two weeks ago. Uh, so, so I still do a lot of that. And to, and to some extent, uh, the way I respond to them has to do with what rank it is they're trying to achieve. Okay? But there are a few things that are consistent in what I tell them, no matter what position it is. Okay? And I think the first one is to be sure that you understand the fires, the fire department an understanding of what it is and how it functions. Because for too many of us, we go open the drapes to the, the, the blinds at the fire station, look outside, that's the Phoenix Fire Department. It's right outside my fire station or right there in the apparatus bay or something. Trouble is, that's not going to serve you very well if you're promoting to higher levels and you want to continue to promote because a lot of people do. Okay. A fire department is made up of three line service areas. That's all. And line services are performed by people whose customers are outside the fire department. So there's only three. Okay? And that's code enforcement, emergency response and dispatch, and emergency management, all in one there. And fire and life safety education. Those customers are outside the fire department. Okay. And then there are support areas that cause that to be effective. Okay. And they are the administration and financial management of the system. The uh, ability to, or the, the, uh, the, the political and relationships aspects of the system. Managing stuff, in other words, dealing with the hardware, software, buildings, trucks, hardware stuff, and keeping people prepared to do their jobs is the last one. Okay, that's a fire department, and it isn't separate. It's it's like that. When it's hitting on all cylinders, it's like this. And if you go into an interview and you talk with that group about a fire department who's basically revolves around emergency, emergency response and training, see, that fire department doesn't exist. Hmm. And they're sitting there, they're looking for somebody who can manage, lead, get resources, you know, understand how to do the necessities of that job that understands that everybody's saying this bigger picture that's that bigger picture <laughs> <laughs> understanding the bigger picture of of what 
with how, what is that organization? I want to be a supervisor in it or a manager in it. I have to understand that before I can do that. You know, years and years ago, I remember reading a book. Uh, it was called In Search of Excellence. And it was, and one of the things it said was, in order to be good at your job, you need to know your job. In order to be good at your business, you need to understand your business, is what it was saying. Yeah. Okay. And I think too many people don't understand the business. It, it, so it's interesting. That feels like a very simple concept, um, but yet, why is, do we why do we struggle with that? We make it too complicated, yeah. and we get distracted. You know, people expect things of a fire chief from outside the fire department and knocks the fire chief flying. The union gets involved in disputes outside the fire department and knocks the union flying. The, you know, the workforce gets involved in COVID and they get involved in politics and it knocks them flying. And we get distracted from that model, that mental model of mine. But the thing is, is if you're a good leader, a really strong leader of influence, that you can influence people even when you aren't there. That's how good a leader you are. Then everything will come back together because you know where you're trying to take it. And so do they. You know. And and there's only one thing that's the end of the world. And that's the end of the world. There isn't anything else. For the most part we're all coming back again. I said that earlier. Is it is it if you act, if you act like the end of this issue is the end of this issue, and by God it's over. I got news for you. Nothing's over <laughs> until all parties decide it's over. <laughs> and and so, or if you manage in a way where you kick people around, you you're planting little malignant tumors all over that organization. Mm. And they're going to get you. You're going to hang around the majority of your adult work life. <laughs> and so are they. You can't solve problems like that. You could if we were one of those organizations where people stay for three or five years and then leave. Like all the books say, the people are in their careers don't stay very long anymore. You go ask those recruits if you've got any in class right now how long they're planning to hang around. Go ask the last five classes that have graduated. They're not going anywhere. Yeah, this isn't the traditional industry. No. People stick around. That, and, and, and people don't get fed up and leave. Yeah. They get fed up and stay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a bigger problem. Which is frankly. worse. Yeah, it's way worse. It's way worse. Yeah. So, you know, you asked about, uh, if you can't keep it simple, you can't do it. <laughs> mm, because there's too many distractions, mm -hmm. you know? And, and and I've you spent a lot of hours over over, over fifty two years now, uh, and even before that, because even when I was in the military, I saw leadership issues that really resonated with me, both good and bad. And and but I've spent hours and hours and hours thinking about what our organization does, and what I expect from people, and what I expect from supervisors, and. And that's how I have consolidated all that into a belief system. 
a set of values, a set of principles that I try to operate from, no matter what organization I've been running, whether it be a national organization, which I've run many, or whether it be a fire department, you know? And I've had the opportunity to work with so many great people. Holy cow. You know, some of the some of the greatest people I've known in the fire service, I got to work with them. You know, whether it be Alan Bernasini, whether whether it be Pat can tell me, Dwayne Pell, uh, Clell West, Gary Picari, uh I mean, I could go on and on and on. Honestly, I got to work with them. I got to work with Hal Bruno. Uh, I got to. I mean, I got to work with Lou Amabilly, Who I got to work with all those people, and they all influenced me in a lot of ways. And, and and if you can't learn from them, I I think you can't learn. You know. What, it's, I think that, um, you know, the value in learning is so. We have to. We talk about being a lifetime learner, right, over the course of a career, um, and I think that you're demonstrating that really, really well. Because there's, you're, it's all these different opportunities that you have, people that you work with, uh, reflecting on things that you're doing and, and, and drawing out the lessons from them, simplifying them, codifying them for yourself, like how, you know, in a meaningful way so you have a takeaway from it. You know, people talk about life being a lifelong learner. And, and sometimes I think they anchor that in, well, I'm going to classes and I'm, I'm attending classes, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's extracting the lessons and gleaning the value from the, the experiences you're having and the people you're working with and, and saying, what is the meaning of, you know, going to Flagstaff and having a, a, a tough RBO? What did we get from that? Oh, we came out with a, a good document, but there's so there's lessons that, that I'm learning today that because of the lessons that you guys learned, that's amazing to me. And I will say this, we talk about coming into this, into the fire service. And we always talk about, um, standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. And that's what that looks like. The fact that I'm quoting you back to you, however many years later, uh, to me just really warms my heart, recognizing that the influence that, that, you know, the lessons that you guys learned have provided influence and leadership to me so many years later and you know is written down in documents and is going to go well beyond me because I'm spewing it to people too. So it's going to continue to live on. If Let me ask you this. If you could go back to, to 20-year-old Denny before he was chief, what would you, what would you tell that kid? I think I would tell him to to live his life to the fullest and to not be intimidated or uh, held back by anybody or anything. That you have the strength to do what you need to do. And don't ever let anybody convince you you don't. I love that. That's what I would tell him. Okay. One last question. We call this podcast fireground fitness podcast what is what does that expression mean to you mm. well I, I don't think fireground fitness is a person i think i think uh i think fireground fitness uh deals with resources and i think that 
that being fit to respond to an emergency and handle that emergency means that you selected the right people in the first place, that they are incredibly well trained, that they have the resources they need to do their jobs, that their health is monitored and their physical condition is monitored. and that they have the support of the organization behind them in everything they do, including fixing things that probably shouldn't have happened. Okay, so I think that, and I would add to that, I think, because I said their health is monitored. That is a pretty broad statement, but in today's world, that incorporates things that we did not have to deal with. I started to say not have to worry about them. We just didn't know we had to worry about them. But we should have been worrying about them. You know? And you asked a minute ago about Flagstaff. And what did we get from going to Flagstaff back in the 1980s uh, and 90s? We got a lot. But you got more. Yep. Because even after we left Flagstaff, we had to fight our way through all that crap, you know. And you are fighting your way through stuff today. Don't minimize that. People who are leading today, uh, and this is, I honestly feel this way. Uh, I hear people complain about things today. Young people don't want to work, you know. Um, That's a bunch of crap. The people I know today in the fire service are smarter than I ever was. They're better trained than I ever thought I could be. They have a different value system, but they grew up in a different time. They have tools available to them that we have, we didn't even dream of because we didn't have the capacity to dream that. You know, they care about things and they do a damn good job. They're good managers. They're good leaders. A lot of them have balanced their lives better than I ever did. You know? So uh, so I think that the fire service is fine. And it's going to be fine. Uh, I don't think that anything is going to hell in a handbasket. You got your Sarah problems. So did we. I wish you the best in dealing with them. If I can ever be of help, let me know. And thank you for having me here today. Hey, Chief, thank you so much for sharing your time. Much appreciated. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in. If you're enjoying this podcast, get over to whatever platform you like to listen on. Subscribe. This podcast will drop in the middle of the night when you least expect it. Additionally, get on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. Feel free to shoot me an email. Uh, Any feedback that you provide is valuable for me in helping us build this product to be more uh, in tune with what you want to hear. Lastly, Take the lessons that you're learning here from the people that are sharing their knowledge, imbue it into your life. Remember, there are no shortcuts. So let's go on out there and get some.